Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com and RockAuto.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome everyone to MotorWeek podcast number 233. And we got a lot to talk about today, and to help us do all that talking, we've got writing to writer, two-wheeling producer Brian Robinson. Glad to be here. I'll try to do as little of the talking as possible. Over the edge reporter, Greg Carlos. I'll try to make up for his lack of talking. <laughs> and road test producer who always talks, Kyle Scanlon. I'll do my best to keep it to Please. level. <laughs> no, 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 no. We, we want this to be entertaining. Just uh, no spitting allowed for obvious I'll, I'll reasons. I'll do my best. Yeah. All right. We've got uh, vehicles we want to talk about. We've got a lightning round. We've got a viewer question. There may be a rant and rave in here somewhere. But I really want to start before we talk about specific vehicles with the um, return of the Ford Bronco. And really, this is now a sub-brand that Ford is basically launching. As we're recording this podcast, Ford's released a lot of information, but they haven't released the actual details on the vehicles so far. But we do know there's going to be three Bronco vehicles initially, uh, a two, you know, all SUVs, a two-door that looks a lot like the original Bronco as far as form. Uh, a four-door or five-door, depending on how you want to cut it, and then a smaller Bronco Sport that'll be a, a front-wheel drive chassis where the other two are supposedly based on the frame from the uh, revised, upcoming, redesigned uh, Ford Ranger. But now, even before they're out, there's a lot of talk about that lineup growing and wanting it to be basically Ford's answer to Jeep. They're looking at not one, but perhaps two pickup trucks, one small one called, perhaps called the Maverick, uh, and other vehicles beyond that. So with that setting the stage, what do you think? Is Ford just coming late to the party? We obviously, when Ford said they were doing away with cars, we didn't really anticipate them going this far, didn't know what they were going to do. What do you make of what you know so far about Bronco, its chances of, of uh, doing well, and growing to be this big new sub-brand? Uh, I guess I'll go first. Uh, well, we don't know a whole lot, but we've been down this road before. I mean, the original Bronco was a CJ fighter at the time, and eventually it got bigger and bigger and bloated, and perhaps ahead of its time was the ginormous SUV when gas prices were going crazy, so uh, it went away. But certainly time for it. Uh, it's clearly aimed right at the Wrangler, uh, at least the first couple that are going to come out. And uh, I mean, if it weren't for the Wrangler, I think Jeep and Chrysler would have been out of business a long time ago. So they sell so many of those things. So even if they capture a small portion of that, I think it'd be good and certainly enough to make the Bronco a success. They're definitely trying to make it a whole experience um, mm -hmm. and, and cash in on the same excitement, hopefully that the Jeep fans have because uh, Jeep has an ardent uh, following. I mean, people are, incredibly passionate about their Jeeps. And I think they're trying to cash in on that. And I think that there is, I mean, there's reason to believe that there's a fairly large group of people that want to get into a Bronco. I mean, God knows they've been talking about it for so long. So they've, they've definitely built up the excitement. Um, so I'm definitely interested to see how much, um, you know, how quickly people come flocking to them. Cause I know I have friends who are always asking about the Bronco. Um, 
But as as usual, I think uh, it's just going to depend on the execution. So because again, like Robinson said, we don't really know a whole lot about them. Kyle, yeah. you've you've been in and out enough jeeps and everything else. Do they do they warrant a big competitor? Because I don't think Ford's going to do anything small time. They're going to throw hundreds of thousands of units at this new Bronco uh, subbrand. Uh, I mean, I, I do think Jeep uh, warrants a competitor. It's, um, you know, I, I've known a lot of people that even have Jeeps and they're part of the whole Jeep community and they kind of want something else. They, you know, Jeeps have been around for so long. The styling hasn't changed a whole lot. Obviously the big jump from the two door to the four door and now from just now with the Gladiator being out there for people that want a small truck bed and kind of a you know mid-sized truck feel. But I'm really interested to, to see what people think and to see if people move over from being Jeep people to Bronco. Because when you look at the photos and stuff, it's very clear they're aiming right at the Jeep population. Uh, yeah. So, and one of the things with Jeeps is that they're fantastic vehicles, but they're relatively cramped inside. And I go on a lot of fishing adventures with my friend who owns a four-door Jeep. And when you get three or four grown men in there, plus fishing gear, there isn't a lot of room for anything. And I don't know what the dimensions of the Bronco are on the interior, but if they're able to give some more space and a little more comfort to the ride, then I think it can definitely pull some people away from the Jeep market. You know, in a lot of ways to me, this is back to the future. When you look at the, what we know so far and the spy photos that are floating of the larger Bronco four-door or five-door uh, SUV, you look at that and it has to remind you of the, you know, the early 80s XJ Cherokees. And, you know, that started everything as far as making uh, SUVs, you know, household vehicles. And we've sort of gone full circle back to that, even though Jeep still offers boxy vehicles, there aren't that many other like that around. Most everything else is very swoopy, a coupe looking or whatever. This looks like a genuine square upright how much can you cram into it, body on frame uh, SUV. So, um, you know, it's gonna be, especially if gas stays cheap. Yeah, you know, Jeep may have started it, but uh, turning it back to Ford, the Explorer really made things explode, yes. uh, if you will, in the That's SUV true. segment. So when they had the four door and the two door, I mean, those they sold so many of those things. So maybe uh, they'll uh, do it once again. You're right. It really is a return, almost a return to the original Explorer when you look at the shape and the capabilities and how it's built and everything. Okay, I guess we beat that to death, but I think there's going to be so much about Bronco. I think when we do our next podcast after this one, we're going to be spending just as much time talking about the details that we'll know. I do want to move on to another Ford and, of course, the most high-volume vehicle in uh, North America, and that's the 2021 uh, Ford F-150 redo. This is not a revolutionary vehicle. The last generation switching to aluminum body did that. This seems more, to me, it seems far more evolutionary. Again, all we know is what we've seen and what we've read. Uh, I'm not disappointed. I don't think they needed to reinvent the wheel again, but it looks like they've added an awful lot of features to keep them at the top of their game. Yeah, you're right. Uh, all the frame, all the running gear underneath, all that's the same. Yeah. Those have an all new aluminum body, different than the one currently, but all the bed sizes, cab sizes, all that's still the same. Uh, all the four wheel drive hardware is the same. All the engines are mostly the same. They've all been upgraded in some manner, 
some of them just for getting the 10-speed automatic, but they've all been upgraded a little bit. Of course, the 3.5 liter uh, turbo hybrid is the biggest news. Right. The, uh, the interior looks like they've bought into the Ram culture with a big screen, uh, would not totally unexpected. They, they, um, I was actually um, watching their live stream mm -hmm. while they were announcing all the details, and they made a point to say that their screen is horizontal because, <laughs> because of the way that people work. Because a, a big thing about this one is they want to cater to the workmen. Yeah, and me not being one, some of it seems kind of gimmicky, but I'd like to hear from somebody who does, you know, use an F one fifty every single day on the on the job site because they've done things like they've added an, a ruler into the tailgate, yeah. uh, C clamp uh, cutouts. Um, they've actually there's like max reclined seats that'll actually go completely yeah. flat. Forgot about those. The passenger yeah. seat looks like a first class aircraft. Yeah, and you can fold the shifter down into the console to make a flat yeah. workout uh, space for your laptop. That's crazy. Yeah. But uh, yeah, like I said, it, to me, that seems kind of gimmicky. But I, I really would like to see if, you know, their buyers and anybody who uses a pickup truck will get use out of it. But back to the hybrid. Um, <clears throat> yeah, you know, that, that's 12,000 pounds of towing right there with the hybrid. Mm -hmm. And they're saying 700 miles on a full tank. So, yeah. you know, that, that's going to be exciting to see if that, you know, if they make good on their promises. I have no doubt they will. I mean, I mean, you know, they, they can't afford not, they can't afford to under deliver on the best selling vehicle in the land. Yeah, I mean, I was skeptical when the EcoBoost came out, but they've certainly proved that people aren't afraid to buy turbo trucks. Right. Now, every, pretty much everybody has a turbo truck in their lineup. And uh, the big, you know, another big thing is the onboard generator, um, which obviously uh, came about because of the hybrid, but then they took it to the next level and you can actually get it in non-hybrid uh, vehicles uh, mm -hmm. as well, uh, three different sizes, depending on uh, which engine you get. So it should be pretty amazing. Yeah, I'm very curious to see exactly how much that will support. The big problem with all of these uh, onboard electrical systems in the past is they couldn't really run electric motors like a circular saw or something. This thing's got, I forgot what it was. Is it is it 2,000 watts or whatever? But anyway, it's a lot. It goes up to what, almost eight kilo, almost eight kilo. Yeah, the big one is like 7,000, I think. Yeah, 2,000 and a 2,300, I think. Even 2,000 is pretty impressive. What? Yes, two to 7.2 kilowatt yeah, charger. Yeah. And yeah. the, uh, the gas engines, obviously, you need to leave them running, but it has a special operating mode that keeps it from overheating. And mm. uh, so they're made, they've tested the heck out of them, apparently, from what they've told me. Uh, they're made to sit there and run all day and let you do whatever you need to do. Yeah, I was you got say, an F-150, uh, Kyle. What, what do you think? Um, well, I mean, A, I love the way it looks <laughs> compared to the, the old grill that was out in the recent revamp. But one of the things, touching on what Greg said about, you know, a workman using it, is the entire a pro power on board with the generator and stuff like that and all the plugs in the back i'm interested to see how well that works on a day-to-day -day basis for someone that would use it on the job site or you know like even as something as ridiculous as being you know being out camping or someone is building a log cabin in the middle of the woods and therefore they only use their truck as their power plant as opposed to a big generator so right. i'm interested to see how well that whole system works yeah, speaking of grills, I think there's 11 different grills with this one. They oh, wanted to make cool. a, a bigger differentiation between the trim levels and stuff. Yeah. So you got a ton of different grills to choose from. 
and LED lighting. They they already had bracketed LED lighting, but they've seemed to go. They've gone crazy on the top of platinum, and so forth. That I've never seen so much, you know, thin lighting on a truck. For that matter, I haven't seen that as much lighting, thin lighting. I think on most elevated prestige cars. So they've really gone nuts on the lighting. You'll know when you've got one behind you. <laughs> All right, let's move on to uh, uh, something I thought was a bit of a surprise. Uh, we uh, saw the uh, unveiling of the 2021 Kia, not Optima, but K5. And the K5 actually fits in with how they do their naming uh, in their home country of uh, Korea, South Korea. I, I was expecting, I guess, like most everybody else, to then basically say, well, you know, it's basically a Sonata with a different take body and in a lot of ways it is but this seems to me more of a departure they've really worked to separate it from sonata especially by having all-wheel drive which sonata doesn't and we went through weeks of indoctrination from hyundai telling us why they didn't need to do all-wheel drive on the new sonata and here's brother kia and and they're doing it so uh, what'd you think of the look what'd you think of the, of the what they're what they're probably how they're going to market it what do you think of the name? I think the K5, it's a, it's a name that I think it will stand out in the U.S. because it sounds so much different than anything else that we've heard of, definitely coming from Kia. And with the, with the styling, I think it looks fantastic. You know, I'm, I'm, a fan, I'm, a, I'm a fan of sporty sedans. I used to own an old S4 back in the day, which, you know, is actually one of the first cars to really make me fall in love with automotive stuff and keep me going with it. And with over 300 horsepower and the all-wheel drive system, I can only imagine it's going to be a lot of fun to bring through the curves. So I'm excited to test it when we actually get one. Yeah, as far as the looks, they took a lot of the styling right from the Stinger. Mm -hmm. so, and uh, you can only get all-wheel drive with the 1.6 liter engine. You can't get all-wheel drive with the big engine. So I'm not sure how that'll play. Um, as far as the name, um, it'll be interesting to see what they do with the K900. Because the K900 is the K9, yeah. Korea, but they didn't want to call it that here for obvious now reasons. The K letters here, so yeah. I, I'm not sure what they're doing, but I, I think I think they had just gotten the Optima name established. Mm -hmm. I think it was a clearly a good competitor for according Camry shoppers, and I just think they just threw that all, all away. I, I agree with you on that. It's hard to establish a name, especially you have now with everybody and their brother on the domestic side dropping cars. Now they almost got to start from scratch as far as marketing. Greg, you didn't say anything. Um, yeah, I mean, I was really shaking my head there, nodding my head with Robinson, because I agree. The Optima has really built up a nice reputation. Yeah. You know, I've had family members who have owned one and they've loved it. And just when they're doing well, they come out with the K5. And like you've all said, I think it's kind of puzzling. I, I know why they did it, but just like you why? Know, I'm not good sure going. I know why. Why do you well, think they did it? <laughs> well, it's it's to keep it consistent across the world, like globally. Yeah, who cares? Have, I guess I mean, they that's, do. That's the Datsun Nissan, you know, thing. It's like who cares? Except maybe somebody with an ego somewhere. Well, it's probably somebody internally who's just like I'm sick yeah. of coming up with different or like having to call it two different things depending on what country I'm in. Well, you it's like the Mazda with the CX-30, you know, it was, it's not the same car that's a CX-30 that sold over there. It, it just gets confusing. So yeah. I think they yeah. should just be same names across the board. 
There you go. Scrib's calling me on the flip phone. Should I answer it? <laughs> <laughs> Make him wait. Make him wait. Unless he wants to join in on the podcast. Um, one of the vehicles that we actually physically have had into work very recently is the 2020 Volkswagen Atlas Cross Sport, the so-called sporty version of the regular Atlas. A little bit shorter, a little bit uh, swoopier looking, otherwise pretty much the same vehicle. I was curious when I got a chance to drive it, it, it. To me, it's like it drives like an Atlas, which is very good. I was wondering though how much I would miss that length, and I've forgotten whether it's six or eight inches that it's shorter. And the answer is not much. It's still a pretty impressive vehicle. I don't know what everyone else thought about it. I thought a nice addition to their lineup. Not sure they, why they needed it. They've, the Tiguan is getting redesigned, but it gives them another SUV without going to a lot of expense. That's the same question everybody asks, basically, yeah. with every German SUV that comes out. It's like, why? I'm not sure why we needed it, but it's it's a nice-looking vehicle. It looks better mm -hmm. than a standard Atlas. And like you said, John, I mean, I was um, I shot the interiors on it, and I was messing around with some of the configurations in the back. Plenty of space, uh, you know, for, for what I would need it for. Yeah, I agree with some of what you said. I mean, it's a lot bigger than the Tiguan, but it's not so much a different SUV as it is uh, just a two-row version of the Atlas, just like Pilot uh, Honda did with the Pilot and Passport. The same exact vehicle with one less row and a little bit shorter. And we uh, asked that same then, question about that, too. But then they added, they put the whole new front end on, which I think looks way better, nicer grill. They uh, did a couple things to the interior, and they – Changed the configurations where in the Atlas you had to get the six cylinder to get all wheel drive. Mm -hmm. Here you can get all wheel drive with either engine. And I was beginning to like it more and more. But then before it even goes on sale, they announced that all those same things are going on the new Atlas. So you don't even get a nicer looking vehicle. So I, I'm not sure what to think about it now. I also think it's worth noting that they've they have the new Volkswagen badge on it and the new standard Atlas as well. And and it's not a huge difference, but it's much thinner and. Uh, a little more modern. I think it looks good in this in the updated interior too. So just something worth noting. Well, it is worth noting because everything these days is getting bolder and bolder, and they seem to have actually gone a little bit the other way. So, sure. but a nice vehicle, and um, you know, when Atlas came out, it came out and got our top awards, and uh, I really think the Cross Sport uh, is a very very nice vehicle. So. Kyle, you had a chance to actually probably drive it more than either any of us. Actually, I didn't get to drive it at all. You shouldn't enough. say that, Kyle. Well, you know, you're I, giving I, away I, the secrets. That I, I'm, I'm sorry. I have a new puppy with a squeaky toy in the house. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of canine. <laughs> yeah, speaking of canine, I got a new one in the house. Let go of the toy. Um, I mean, yeah, unfortunately, I didn't really get to drive it. I got to go to the reveal um, when they revealed at the plant, and that was a lot of fun, so I got to – you know, get some really inside information, see how they actually build the car and that kind of stuff, which was really cool. But I think- What was the most impressive thing that you came away from that event? Um, just their entire manufacturing setup, the, the automation of it and how they just have every little thing dialed in, every little nut and bolt, every little bin, you know, the way parts move from A to B to C to D, it was just, it was, it was a very impressive place to get a tour of, that's for sure. That's the Chattanooga plant, which is actually yeah. one of the newest auto assembly plants in the country. It yep. is pretty impressive. I, I toured it before it even opened when they 
started building that uh, larger facade there. Mm -hmm. And they love to show it off because, you know, they'll say it's far and above uh, more advanced than anything we have in Germany. And like this, that's their flagship plant. I mean, cool. they love to show it off. Well, so far, I, I mean, speaking from how we have reviewed everything that's come out of that plant, it's, um, we've loved it. Okay, let's move on, I guess, to our lightning round. Chevrolet has just announced that the 2021 Chevrolet Corvette will, believe it or not, have exactly the same price for the coupe and the convertible as it had during its launch year of 2020. Let's all take a moment and look way too far into this because does this signify anything for Chevrolet or the industry as we go ahead and try and dig ourselves out of this pandemic mess? Is this gonna be one-off or do you think we're gonna see more of this? Keeping things, you know, about the way they are. Yeah, I wouldn't look too much into it. I mean, not every car goes up every year. They usually only raise the prices when they make some significant change. So I wouldn't look too much into it. Well, they usually, you know, on average, if you look at how auto companies do, they usually raise the prices one and a half two three percent on the outside in the fall then they'll do it again maybe in the spring of course what we don't know about the new corvette because i haven't seen any detailed price list is they may well have raised some of the option prices but they didn't talk about that they you know the plant was shut down for what two months so i think in a way they're they recognize they don't want to disappoint people that were ready to buy the 20 by jacking the price up on them but still you know it doesn't strike me that 2021 is going to be a year to raise prices. I'll hush. What do you think? This Corvette has already gone through so much between delays and now coronavirus. Right. It just seems like maybe they're trying to establish some goodwill with the customer. And it's a high profile vehicle for Chevrolet. So why not add a few extra options or a few extra standard things? I think like magnetic ride. Is now standard you don't have to get Z51 no it's not packages. standard but you don't have to get the z51 that's what it was yeah yeah, yeah. um a few more colors and yeah I, I it was a very conscious effort if you ask me to keep things maybe they'll eat a little bit of the cost but maybe it helps sell a few more cars yeah, yeah i think i agree with greg i definitely think it'll help sell some more cars with the price not going up and i honestly i'd like you know it'd be interesting to see if that becomes a trend where just because they add a couple more things, you know, does that really up the manufacturing price to then warrant going up 3%, you know, in the fall and then going up another couple percent yeah. later in the year. But so. you know, it's, it's interesting that the, that base Corvette 59,995, they sold out of that for 2020 pretty quick. So now they've really given people that want in, but don't want to spend 75 and 80 another chance I think it's very commendable, so. All right, we have uh, a viewer question. This is from Joe. Many of the new cars have different driving modes. So boy, do we know that. Sport, normal, eco, you name it. When we do our zero to 60 test, are we in sport mode, normal mode, or what? Sport. Why? Pretty much always in sport because, um, you know, it'll give you the best numbers that you can, and that's what you're looking for. You want to see how fast it can be. So having it in something like eco or normal, that's not going to get the car 
up to that point, you know, that there's no point in us running the numbers there because we want to know how fast is the fastest that this car can go for the but Don't you go through a couple of different yeah. modes to see if there is any real difference? Yeah, I wouldn't, assume, I wouldn't assume that sport's the fastest. Depends on every car's sport mode is different, but if it's suspension, a lot of times you'll get better numbers not in sport uh, because you'll get more weight transfer if it's a rear wheel drive car, get better traction on the rear. Um, I would say I'm not involved with the testing as much as I used to be, but I would always start off in just straight normal, whatever the car defaults to, and that's your baseline number. And then you spend the rest of the day trying to get quicker, change one thing at a time, change the drive modes, uh, change whether it's front wheel drive, all wheel drive, you can turn that off, change, go through the traction control settings, just keep changing things and shaving off tenths wherever you can. Yeah, I do think that most times we basically end up uh, with sport mode being the fastest because it tends to get through the uh, gears at, uh, the quickest. But, uh, uh, you know, it, it, is, it does, look like Brian said, it depends on the vehicle, especially with something that's got a lot of weight transfer to it. Yeah. Brian, what's your experience? I'm sorry. Go ahead, Kyle. I was going to say most times I do um, what Brian said is I do the first couple runs in normal to kind of see where it's at and then right. – you know, bring it into sport mode. Most cars, it'll, it'll, you know, shave some time off. Some cars, it doesn't really make a, a lot of difference. You know, you can feel the difference between normal and sport mode, say, when we're doing the slaloms because it tightens up the suspension or something like that. But, you know, other, otherwise, most of the time, I would say, in my experience, and granted, I've only been here about a year and a half, so I don't have as much time under my belt as the rest of you. But in my experience, sport or sport plus generally does take time off, but not always. What, what about launch control? Well, I mean, so many of the high-end cars have that. I mean, my experience has been that makes maybe a bigger difference. Yeah, we, we just had that, uh, the Porsche 4S in, and launch control made a world of difference doing the quarter-mile test for sure. Brian made a face, so he doesn't agree. Uh, some of the cars, it's about 50-50. Some of the launch controls are, are pretty lame. Uh, ones like Porsche, you certainly can't beat that one you know, Nissan GTR, stuff like that. Uh, but like the Chrysler stuff, they, uh, and the Challengers and Hellcats and stuff, they launch super uh, gentle. Yeah. There's some other cars mm -hmm. that you can usually do better than the launch control. What do you Agreed. think, Greg? Yeah, um, like manual launch control, I'm not a fan of at all, because they actually have on manual transmission cars. Some of them you can do launch control. I don't Which like that. It sort of doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I like, I, I, I like being able to, um, you know, launch myself in manual cars. But yeah, I agree with Robinson. Everyone's different. Actually, I just did a Mercedes today and a 911 Turbo S. And actually, the Mercedes is better than it had been recently. They, they always were kind of inconsistent, but they've gotten better with it. And then Porsche is just flawless. I mean, every single time. You can do it 15 times in a row and you'll get the same result. I got to tell you where I've noticed the biggest difference in drive modes is actually fuel economy. Um, I'm driving this... Um, um, Palisade and it's pretty fuel efficient for a big SUV. I've been looking at indicated highway 24, 25, but I just finished a trip with it and I kept it in eco the whole time. And yeah, it makes the throttle kind of lame, but I got indicated like 28, 27.5 and 28 miles per gallon, which I thought was, you know, over a 10% improvement. I thought was pretty impressive. So I'm not sure acceleration, Joe, is where you see the biggest differences. It may be in fuel economy. 
Okay, that wraps up that. And we've got one more thing that we want to look at. And first, let me open it up. Anybody got rants and raves this week? Something you love, something you hate, because then I want to bring up a subject. I love Capri Sun. That's all I got to say. <laughs> I can see that. I love your subject, whatever it is. Well, what I want to talk about is, and this has a lot of implications, and who knows if it'll ever happen, but the, um, the, uh, the Democrats have unveiled as part of the re-election uh, process a blueprint for reducing uh, hydrocarbons and greenhouse gases uh, long-term, uh, making trying to make the U.S. You know, carbon neutral, what, all the, the environmental rhetoric. But what stands out, of course, is that as they as has been proposed in other plans by at other times, is doing away with the gasoline-powered internal combustion engine, and the time frame they're setting on it is 2035. Now, if uh, the Democrats win election and they win both houses and they get the presidency, we could see something like that happening. 2035 sounds like a long time, but it's not. It's really only two product cycles. So I want to get your take on that. But, I'll, but while I'm doing that, I wanted to also bring up something else. We already know that over the next five years, there's going to be about 250 new vehicles launched. Only half of them are probably going to have internal gasoline internal combustion engines as their primary source of power. The other half are going to be hybrids of some variety or all electric. So is this 2035 for light duty and 2040 for heavy duty something that car crazy people should be alarmed at? Does this mean we will be, it's possible that we could still have internal combustion engines powered by very clean alternative fuels? What would, when I make that statement, no gasoline powered internal combustion engines uh, be in a new car after 2035, what do you take away from that? Does it worry you? What? Uh, I would just say good luck. Well, good luck with that. We'll see what happens. But if you want to buy your Bronco, you better get it soon before the government takes it away from you. <laughs> That's pretty harsh. Greg, uh, you're, you're, you're the, you're, uh, you and Kyle both represent the, the youngest generation here. So you're the ones that are going to uh -oh. see far beyond this. <laughs> um, I think Younger. I'm I'm naturally skeptical about that, uh, but I do think it's a it's a goal that we should definitely be working toward. Um, and to clean up the air. To get things jump started, sometimes you need an ambitious goal. So I don't think we're going to do it, but I think uh, we'll see some really great engineering feats in the next fifteen years, especially if if this becomes an actual mandate. Uh, but, you know, for anybody who's upset about losing the internal combustion engine, I think you should drive some electric cars and some, yeah. you know, even some hybrid vehicles because they do some pretty incredible things. Yeah, you know, when you first say, you know, all internal combustion engines gone, it, it you know, kind of makes me want to lean back and make, makes me feel uncomfortable, to be honest, at first. But like Greg said, you know, there's a lot of fantastic all electric and hybrid vehicles out there. And if they keep moving forward with that technology and making it better and better and better, I don't think they'll reach the goal that they want in 15 years. Um, but, you know, they can, they can make steps towards reaching that goal. I, I definitely think it'll take longer. But the thing that worries me is, um, you know, granted, you know, we, all, we drove the Taycan down in Georgia and stuff like that. And it's fantastic all-electric vehicle. But 
you know, to me, nothing is going to sound better than a well-tuned vehicle with a great exhaust system. So the idea of losing that and, you know, performance vehicles is kind of what worries me because that's one of the things that car lovers love about the vehicles is how they sound. So taking in obviously all the cars recently that have been pumping noise into the cabin and stuff like that, you just, if you're if you're a real real car guru, you know lover of them, then you know it's fake. You know it's not coming from the actual mechanics of the vehicle, and that worries me a little bit. And I would I would hate to see it go. But you know that's a luxury item when it comes to producing less emissions and you know kind of saving the planet. So I would definitely go with saving the planet over having a cool exhaust. But you know we'll we'll see what happens. Good, I'd say good luck. See, I think it opens the door, and nobody's talking about this, this, but maybe us. I think this opens the doors for wider use of alternative fuels. You can keep your internal combustion engine and put synthetic fuels that don't increase the carbon footprint. I mean, they've got them now. They can make them in, in larger supplies. So I guess I, I take it with a grain of salt and think technology may find a way to preserve it, no matter what they do legislatively. So. But it will be interesting. You got that right. It's going to be interesting to see how it evolves. Okay, that it? Anybody else? I got Well, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I guess that ends our Motor Week podcast number 233. I want to thank Brian Robinson, Greg Carlos, Kyle Scanlon, but also Jim Bigwood, our engineer at Maryland Public Television that makes us all sound wonderful. Greg, of course, is the producer of our podcast and the creator, Bob Mixter. And thank all of you for watching Motor Week on public television stations and also over on our Motor Trend partner uh, for visiting our motorweek.com website uh, frequently and keeping up on all the latest news and what we're doing, for watching all of our videos on youtube.com slash motorweek. Basically, wherever you can find us, Motor Week wants to be there for you. So thanks very much for joining us for this podcast. And thanks, most of all, for just being a part of Motor Week. You've been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by TireRack.com and RockAuto.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch Motor Week, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.